What's up disc golfers, Joe here with Joe's Disc Golf and it has been two weeks since you got an episode and then now this week you're gonna get two episodes. That's right, you've got a double dose of Joe whether you like it or not and if you don't like it, well, don't subscribe, don't listen. But I thank you for subscribing, listening, viewing, doing all the wonderful things that you do, dear listener slash viewer. And I'm talking about you, Steve. You're a great guy. Anywho, what are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to do last week's show, right now, this week, talking about Green Mountain Championship. Uh, we're not going to do any previews for the upcoming and now past MVP Open, because, well, it is now past and it is gone, and we cannot talk about that anymore. That will be the regularly scheduled episode. So let's uh, jump into it with... Our sponsor, Log. What rolls downstairs, a loner in pairs rolls over your neighbor's dog. What's great for a snack and it fits on your back, it's Log, Log, Log. It's big, it's heavy, it's wood. It's Log from Blamo. Now, you all may wonder why there hasn't been an episode for two weeks. Well, the week before, it was just a very difficult week. And uh, as I was getting ready for this last episode here. I was getting things ready and I'm going, all right, this is awesome. This is great. Why is the carpet soaking wet? Ah, oh, crap. Did the cat pee down here or something? Did I find it? No, the cat has not been down in the basement. Why is there water dripping from that light fixture in my basement? That was awesome. But, um, yeah. So there's that. Uh, we had an issue with our main floor toilet overflowing and nobody letting me know. So that led to water accumulating on the ground, which, you know, gravity is a wonderful thing. And it pulled that water down through the floor, through the ceiling, the drywall on the ceiling was wet. The water was all over the ground. The carpet was soaked and I spent two days trying to get everything all cleaned up. But good news, we're all safe and sound and good to go. Fortunately, did not have any issues with the water coming down and landing on my computer or monitor, although it was within like two feet. Very terrifying. Very, very, very terrifying because I'm pretty sure that water damage isn't covered by any of the warranties and they're not gonna believe me when I say no. I didn't spill water on it. The toilet overflowed. The dog ate my homework. The dog ate my graphics card. Yes, the dog ate my graphics card. I don't have a dog. The cat ate the CPU. That sounds about right. That, that sounds about right. So, World Championship comments from Ricky Waisaki. Let's go ahead and take a listen here because, well, that's going to be fun to do. I think we... I think we should do this. Now, you may or may not have heard these comments. You probably have because they're about two weeks old now. But let's uh, let's go ahead and we'll listen to what Ricky Waisaki had to say at the time of recording. This was when he was second in the point standings. How do you feel about this year's... It's the first time we're going through this format for the final portion of the season. What? How do you feel about that format? I'm excited. I think that our sport really needs that. I think that... Um you know, it's it's kind of weird that 
our sport, we have you know one week out of the year, it determines a world champion. Uh, I think it should be a more of a season-long thing. As an individual sport, I think that um, you know having a semifinals, it's like a, it's like a basketball series. You know, you, you don't just show up and play for the world championships like we do this year, like we do normally. You have to earn your way up, like a basketball. You play the semifinals, and you play, you know, and you work your way up to the finals, and then you have a series to, to determine who's the world champion, instead of just having a week out of the year like uh, like we do, uh, because you know, yeah, a lot of times. It, turns out that the world champion is the best player in the world but there's a lot of years that also the world champion isn't the best player in the world so it's you know there's a big there's a difference between being a world champion and being the best player in the world there's a big difference um, and I think that that's got to be something in our sport that's um, you know kind of got to change because I just think that as, mu as much as I'm a world champion and I'm thankful for that I think that um, yeah, you, you know, you kind of got to separate the two. Being a world champion for that one tournament and then being the best player in the world throughout the whole season. So, yeah. I, ugh. you know, this is hard because what he is trying to describe here is the difference basically between the best player of the season or the player of the year, if you will, and the world championship here, which arguably isn't the best format for that major, in my opinion. Now, the hard part is we're talking about Ricky Waisaki making these comments, and he did not win this year. Uh, he did not play well this year at Worlds at the Dynamic Disc Courses. But Paul Macbeth had to chime in, and he said that that tournament was basically perfect the way it was in a roundabout way. Yes, I am paraphrasing just a little bit. But Paul Macbeth said, yeah, there's nothing wrong with the way we run worlds, says the six-time world champion. And the two-time world champion says, I think we should change some things up here, you know, just because. And, um, yeah, it, it would be different. It, it would be a little bit different if... Paul Macbeth came out and said, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm six-time world champion. But, um, yeah, I, I kind of agree with Ricky's sentiment. But he basically was like, yeah, F that. Uh, world champion. Duh. Best player. Duh. I'm awesome because I'm Paul Macbeth. And the rest of you aren't awesome because you're not Paul Macbeth. So, suck it. Again, paraphrasing just a little bit there, but, you know, uh, what Ricky is describing is like the player of the year slash season long MVP, essentially, like who has been the most consistent out of the entire year. And according to the Pro Tour points standing, spoiler alert, that was Ricky Waisaki. Yes, he was second going into Green Mountain, but he took down Green Mountain, passed Paul and then won it by a smidge after MVP, but I'm not going to get too much into that. That is for the second episode this week. Yes, double dose of Joe. That's what you get this week. Now, um, there is, it, it wouldn't be bad to look at the world's format because let's face it, when Worlds was originally created, many, 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 many moons ago, the World Championship Tournament was basically the only time that everybody, every 
good disc golfer in the country, around the world, would come together for a week and play, was it seven, eight rounds plus a final nine? I mean, it was brutal. Two rounds a day and then the final nine. It was, it was a very long, arduous task, but it was a great time. Uh, it was a lot of great people played, you know, Will Schustrick, uh, Barry Schultz, Ken Climo, all the greats played. But again, this was a different era in disc golf where it was incredibly rare for anyone to really go tour. You know, they'd go out to these tournaments that would be relatively close wherever they could get in a weekend because there's no money in disc golf. And let's let's be real, there isn't a lot of money in disc golf as it is right now. But yeah, there's like not much money in disc golf. Uh, there is more now. It is top heavy still. And... Um, you know, it's it's getting a lot better. But now we're also having people, the best in the world, generally speaking, uh, for the most part, there are still a handful of Europeans that don't come over as often. But for the most part, what used to be considered worlds where all the top disc golfers get together and play and battle it out happens basically every single weekend now. I mean, even the the front end of the season with the Silver Series are pretty packed with the top end. Now, hopefully that's going to change. We're going to be talking about an interview that uh, Jeff Spring did with The Upshot. Uh, great interview. Go ahead and listen to it. But with with some changes in regards to how Silver Series and Tour Cards and all that fun jazz are going to pan out in the future here. But um, in my mind... We need to change worlds a little bit. And and I, I have some thoughts on this. This is how I would look at redesigning worlds and in an effort to make it better. Now, this is just one man's ideas that have not been bounced off of anybody, but I find it to be a launching point, essentially. And I think that, you know, I took a little bit of inspiration from the qualifying aspects of like USDGC and um, points accumulations for like FedEx Cup and things like that. But this is a framework, a rough outline, a guideline, if you will, of how I think we could make worlds just a little bit better. So let me know what you think. And, you know, I've, I've got my notes just over here, just off screen. So if I'm not looking at you guys, if you're not getting to see a front view of this beautiful face for radio, you know, that's why. I've got my notes over here. So I'd like it to be a five-round format, much like it is. So nothing's going to change there. I like the five rounds. It helps the cream rise to the top, as you will. It eliminates that flukiness of, like, uh, you know, you can string together two really good rounds and have a mediocre round. Now this is, you got to put it all together. You got to, you got to be incredibly consistent for the entire tournament. So keep that. The top players will have to qualify. And as it stands right now, looking at the top 100 MPO and top 50 FPO. Now as the FPO field grows larger and gets deeper, that I could see also evolving into another 100 total players so with me so far now for mpo i would say the top 25 from the three other majors assuming that the european open happens 
every single year. If it doesn't, we got to figure something else out. And we need an opportunity for a lot of the Europeans to qualify for this. So 25 from each one. European Open, again, assuming it's annual. The Champions Cup, that's supposed to be annual. And USDGC. This is all for the MPO. Previous winners will auto-qualify. Now, assuming everybody doesn't, like, I, I can't imagine Ken Climo will want to play. And maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, but he gets an invite as it is. So as people, you know, age out, we'll have new people coming in. It'll it'll be fine. It, it, it should all work out. Again, this is rough numbers, just trying to figure it out. People smarter than me can use this idea. I'd love the credit, but I can understand if you don't want to do that. Uh, the remaining, I estimated 15 to 20 spots. You can have a qualification tournament a week or two before. This could be whatever the previous tour stop is. You know, if it's, uh, I don't know, uh, let's let's pick one. Say Jonesboro is like two weeks before. It, you know, it, it moves around. So who knows? Wherever that lands, make that a qualifying tournament. And then the top, how many ever spots are still open, can qualify for that you know it just keeps bumping down so eventually i mean you're gonna have it you're gonna be hard pressed for these first couple years to find people who haven't qualified that you would know you know what i mean so like you know you're pretty much the top 100 are going to qualify it's not going to be that hard it's it's not going to be too difficult as our sport grows as the field gets deeper it's going to be much, much harder. Moving over to the FPO, where we have our 50 women players, it would be the top three from the three other majors, including European Open, Champions Cup, and USWDGC. The remaining seven to 10 spots as it stands right now, again, same qualifying. It could be whatever the last pro stop is or silver series or whatever is before worlds or it could be something completely different you know I, I don't i don't care i'm not too concerned about what that will be what that will look like just because i think this is a great way to do it i think this will help uh, make worlds a better tournament because you just won't have anyone showing up um you must have two courses absolutely a must and it should be one wooded course and one open course, you know, maybe some kind of combination. You could have, you know, some of these courses that are, you, you got a handful of open holes, handful of wooded holes in there, something, you know, Waco, I'd consider halfway in between. It would be, be one of those tweeners where you, if you had two of those, that would be fine too. Something where you get some variety and you have a chance for the, you reduce your chances of luck or, you know, reduced your chances of the course just being a bomber course, where it's just like, yeah, you know, the, you know, the reason that, uh, you know, Drew Gibson won is because we played every hole was 800 feet and it was wide open with no OB. No offense to Drew Gibson, huge bomber, huge, huge bomber, not as great in the woods. Not saying he can't win. I'm just saying his game is focused on long, fairly accurate tee shots and distance shots where someone like say Chris Dickerson yeah he can throw it pretty far but his game is around shot shaping in the woods so mixing those two together you're going to find hopefully the best all-around disc golfer in the world 
And uh, another final thought for the uh, Europeans, make it one of the uh, tournaments there that is very well attended if the U.S., like if European Open doesn't happen, whatever one of the top tournaments is over there and go ahead and just do that. Make sure that they can all come over here. Uh, we're going to do cuts. There'll be a cut. There'll be two rounds of cuts. A cut after round two where the top 70 MPO and top 40 FPO advance. Most likely, this will be plenty of people being cut that you, you know, Paul Macbeth isn't going to get cut. Paige Pierce probably won't get cut. I mean, if she plays like she did at USWDGC, yeah, she probably wouldn't make the cut. But you get my point. So we'd have a cut. We'd play, you know, the open course and the wooded course to help reduce, you know, we don't want all the bombers to win and then advance into the wooded course. And then, yeah, it just, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be as pretty. There'd be another cut after round four. So you play both courses again. And that would be the top 40 MPO and top 20 FPO. Basically, the cash line advances. So everybody who makes it to the final round is getting paid out, which will be exciting. That will make round four. Rounds one and two will be decently exciting. I mean, it's hard to make it, it's hard to make that as exciting as possible. But you could have some people that be close to the cut line and go, all right, you know, is so-and-so going to make it? Is this person going to keep their cash streak alive? Are they going to miss money at all? Are they, you know, whatever. Round four is going to be crazy exciting because you're going to have a lot of people floating around that cut line, that cash line, that are going to have to go home, uh, go home, quote unquote, where you are going to be spectating. You're not going to, you're not going to be playing. You'll be caddying for a friend, a teammate, so to speak. That'll make things very, very exciting. And fifth round is obviously the championship. And that is going to be very exciting as it is. Uh, final round proceeds as normal. I don't know. Those are, those are kind of my thoughts there. Those are what some changes I think that could be beneficial to worlds, a qualification process, a process that, you know, involves cuts. I think that's always been exciting. I've been a fan of it since they've done it in a handful of tournaments so far this year, generally four round tournaments. I think we should also move to a four round tournament format, but that is, I get it, you know, travel logistics. It doesn't always happen that way. In my mind, all Elite Series should be four rounds, and Silver Series could be three or four rounds, probably three rounds, and then you stagger it to give people a chance to get out to wherever they're going. You know, the Silver Series are on the way to the next Elite Series stop in an ideal world. We're still probably a few years away from that, but uh, it would be nice to see. It, it kind of is happening that way, kind of, but... We're still a ways away. That is kind of a format change that I don't foresee happening. Really, like I said, for a few more years, at least there are other bigger fish to fry from the Disc Golf Pro Tour that, again, we will talk about a little more into that. We'll have more comments. I'll have more comments about what's happened at the MVP Open and some things that were said on the air and how the PDGA is just being tightwads for no apparent reason. And they just they they feel like they're losing control of their sport, which I mean, at least the pro side for better 
in my opinion, is the Disc Golf Pro Tour doing... Have they made mistakes? Yeah. I called them out. But I think they're doing a far better job than the PDGA. But that's only because, partly because, they are able to focus just on the pros. The touring pros. The top of the top. The creme de la creme. Yes. But I'm getting off track. We need to move on to our next topic. And we need to get under Ricky's umbrella. Ella A. A. Oh, that was fun. That was fun. In the Green Mountain Championships. If you haven't seen Umbrella Gate, I don't know what rock you've been living under, but you should look it up and watch the video. Now, there are plenty of things that have happened, plenty of comments that have happened. There are people who are adamant that Ricky's disc would have went... Well, let's let's set the scene here. We're on hole 14. Throwing a shot, a blind shot over the hill-ish, and... We hear a noise, a sound. Ricky has no idea what has happened. Chris Dickerson has no idea what has happened. But we get up there and we see that Ricky's disc is inbounds, in fact. And people are going, hey, dude, guess what? Did you, do you see that umbrella there? You hit that umbrella and it kept you in bounds. You got a kick further into the fairway. We'll say it that way. We got a kick further into the fairway. And Ricky goes, all right, whatever. What had happened was somebody had left their umbrella laying on one of the stakes and the umbrella was inbounds. It was one of the OB stakes. Left it inbounds. I mean, we all know it's a regular golf umbrella. It was closed. So pretty small target. Pretty decently far shot. If, you know, Ricky could hit that every single time, hit an umbrella or a target that size every single time, from well over 300 feet away, I, I don't think we'd be having a conversation of who would be the best in the world because if Ricky could play shots like that, he'd never lose, ever, 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 if you could be that accurate with a disc. But nobody is, and I don't think anybody will be. There are too many variables that can happen. Getting back on track here, because I have managed to get pretty far off track, if you watch the video... There are people who are adamant that Ricky's disc was going to go out of bounds. There are other people who are adamant that Ricky's disc was going to stay in bounds and it didn't matter. Honestly, watching that shot, watching the disc kind of hit the ground right before, I don't know. It, it, it is honestly a toss up. You know, the people who don't like Ricky, who want to see him lose, are going to say, yes, that was guaranteed going out. The people who want to see Ricky win are saying, no, nah, staying in, it didn't matter. It really didn't matter. I'm sitting here going, I want to see the best disc golf possible. Ricky, I like Ricky, but I honestly can't say for sure one way or the other. It, it really seemed like a toss-up. There are The stake was right there. There's a decent chance he could have hit the stake and stayed in bounds. Would that be a different conversation we'd be having now? Going, oh my God, he hit the OB stake which is smaller than the umbrella. It was pretty darn close. He could have done that. He might not have. I don't know. He could have just stayed in. He could have got a straightforward skip. That's happened before. He could have got the flare skip out of bounds. He could have got like an anti-skip and stayed in bounds. I've seen it all. There could have been sticks right there, right 
around that area that just caused the disc to react very differently. There could have been little stumps or weeds or whatever and things. It, it could have, probably not because of the rain and how wet the grass was. It, it could have just Velcroed down and just gone, whoop, done. No more movement, nothing. Who knows? We don't know what was going to happen. But in a strange turn of events, Ricky tosses it up, misses. He ends up uh, putting, going OB, taking his shot from there. So this is a fun little rules thing that you can do at any point. At any point during your round, declare it to the card. You can abandon a throw and re-throw from your previous lie with a one-stroke penalty. And in Ricky's case, this was the smart play because he ended up rolling OB. So he's already taken the stroke. And if he takes his meter in from the OB line, he is still further away than his previous lie. And I don't know about you guys, but when I'm practicing and when I'm really focusing and everything, I very rarely miss my second putt when I'm doing that, especially when I'm playing a more casual round. So somebody like Ricky, who hits a much, much higher circle one percentage than I could ever dream to hope in tournaments. It's one thing to go off on, you know, a pretty decent backyard putter. But when it comes down to the brass tacks, it does not go so well for yours truly. But again, a professional disc golfer, especially on the MPO side, especially at the top, Ricky's going to make it. And he does. He ends up taking a five. And uh, things get crazy from there. Uh, it ends up, he ends up taking another one on 16. He ends up tied going into hole 17 where Dickerson did not go for it. Chris Dickerson did not go for this one. And Ricky ends up beating him on 18 because Dickerson had to go for it big on 18. And well. That did not go for well for him. He ends up going OB twice, taking second place, and Ricky takes the win, bumps up into first into the MPO Disc Golf Pro Tour points standings. And he's already qualified for, I mean, it really did not matter. He's already qualified for the final event. And even if he didn't show up, he would still be in the bracket. He wouldn't even be in the play-in. He would still be fine. But he is on the march for the most consistent player out there in disc golf. And spoiler alert, he was, when it comes to the disc golf pro tour, he was by far the most consistent player. Moving over to the FPO from the Green Mountain Championship, we had Kristen Tatar, who was not leading after round one. I know. Heresy. Burn the witches. Uh... She was actually trailing Henna Blumrus by one stroke, and it's okay. It's Kristen Tatar. She plays a very consistent, safe game where she is waiting for everybody else to screw up, and can't blame her because uh, look at Henna. Look at Evelina's putting. Like Evelina could be up there in the mix, and then she has to start making putts, and she is no longer in the mix. Look at Paige Pierce. She is birdie or bogey, or worse, where she just, she'll go out and just, you know, crush a drive and then hit first available or just 
absolutely shank it and just and you're just like what what are you what are you doing you're so good at disc golf and then you're just you know she plays grip it and rip it where Kristen Tatar does not go full power all that often. I know she's having some issues with her backhand, with her elbow injury, which I'd still love to know more information about. But whatever is going on, she can't hurt it any worse, and she's doing pretty well. She ends up taking it down. Um, she ends up beating Henna. Now, they're tied going into the final round. She ends up beating Henna by seven strokes. So, yeah. Kristen's just playing mistake-free disc golf and saying, all right, dare y'all to do it too, and pretty much no one can, not at all. As pointed out by other people, I do want to give credit to other podcasters and people in the media and people on social media. I was not the first person to say this or notice this, but she, like I said, she plays safe disc golf, and if you look at the state of FPO, it's, you can do that. She does not have to get all that aggressive because everybody else is going to screw up. It's, it's just the way the FPO field is at this moment in 2022. Now, 2023, 2024, maybe that'll change. Hannah gets a little more consistency. Evelina finds a consistent putter and stops choking under the pressure. Great. Now, Evelina, watching her putt, it is mental. And Hannah has some mental problems. Some of that is just growing pains, getting used to winning and being on the coverage that is out here while touring the U.S. and being away from her family and all that stuff. There's a whole bunch of mental factors that go into it. But I highly encourage all the pro disc golfers to find a uh, mental performance coach because you need it. A professional, someone who knows how to help you perform at your best, how to identify patterns that, you know, you start having, you know, you have this one thought and that eventually spirals down into you completely losing all your confidence in putting or hitting your lines or whatever it is. And if you can nip that in the bud right there, right as soon as it's said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to think of that. I'm not thinking of that. Get out of here, thought, get out of here. Uh, then that's a, that's one that's 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 a great thing to have. So that's something you can look at. If you don't want to, if there's some stigma in your mind, everybody still says there's a stigma with how much media coverage and everything that's going on. I don't believe there's a stigma anymore. Besides, this is mental performance. This isn't necessarily going to see a psychologist, which again, there's nothing wrong with going to see a psychologist. <sighs> okay, off the soapbox, off, you know, calm down. <sighs> serenity now, serenity now, hoochie <laughs> mama. There are also two really good books that I could um, highly recommend. I think I've mentioned them here before. The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. It does have a have religious connotations to it. So if that's not your cup of tea, then you could also read the book The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Frack. Um, that's not actually the title, but I am censoring it here. F star star K. I think you can figure it out. I have faith in all of you. You're smart people. But uh, basically the same ideas, very, very similar. Uh, the thesis, I would say the same. The way they go about it is uh, very different, clearly. But um, honestly, both books are a good read, and they're inexpensive on Amazon, iBooks, Kindle, wherever. 
go to a bookstore, find them. They're, they're around. Um, both of them, very good books. Both of them help you basically, I mean, it, it's for um, a better, healthier mental approach to life, but all of them can be, you know, applied towards your uh, mental game in disc golf or any sport, honestly. So those, again, the subtle art of not giving an F and the power of positive thinking. Look them up. Great books. I've read them both several times now working through it. So uh, moving on, we have Own Scoggins. Own Scoggins. I mean, she's ranked third in UDISC in the world. Um, I, at the beginning of the year, if you would have said, put down $100 on Own Scoggins to be number three in the world by the end of the 2022 disc golf pro tour season i would have been like what are you talking about what are you smoking you should probably share that with some disc golfers because whatever you're on that's some good stuff and yeah um and no offense to own like she's not she's playing mp40 and pro or sorry fp40 sorry mental block there fp40 and playing FPO and being super competitive in FPO and winning, dominating FP40. I would not have thought that that would have happened. But if you look at her game, she's incredibly accurate and her putting stats are top, absolute number one in FPO. If you look at it, um, she is the best FPO scrambler at 51%, which is a good and a bad stat. Um, because you're scrambling, if you have a low scrambling percentage, you're either really bad at it or you don't scramble often and one or two bad scramble shots can absolutely destroy your average. So she doesn't find herself in the rough or off the fairway all that often, but over half the time she finds herself you know, saving par at the very least, you know, sometimes she's got birdie looks, you know, it's absolutely insane. Um, she is the best circle one X putter in FPO at 83%. That puts her at a decent percentage in MPO that puts her in the top, you know, 40 or so. If I remember correctly off the top of my head, you know, the best putters in MPO, excluding those who very rarely play, where, you know, you if you have one good weekend or two good weekends that your stats are through the roof and yeah, whatever. I'm talking about the people who consistently tour, consistently play, play those silver series, play those elite series. She is up there. Uh, she's the best circle two putter in FPO at 32%, which is insane. Basically, one out of every three C2 attempts she makes. One out of three roughly. I mean, obviously 33%, 1%, you know, let's, let's give it to her, you know, 32%. That puts her tied for 11th in MPO, 11th. Um, she is the next best touring pro to her is Katrina Allen at 21%. Now I excluded Ellie Bryant, who's only had four, she's only played four stops, which is the Preserve, USW, DGC, Mid-America Open, and Des Moines Challenge, and Heather Young, who has also only played two stops, which she is also tied with Katrina Allen at 21%, 
with Las Vegas, Waco, Open at Belton, and Texas States. Now, hopefully, both of those ladies can get out and play more. Um, Heather Young, I, I, I don't know what's going on with Heather Young. I hope she comes out and plays more, but, um, you know, it is what it is to each his own, to each her own, whatever. Uh, Katrina Allen missed the cut and cash for the first time since 2012. 2012. Her streak has come to an end. A lot of streaks have come to an end this year. That just goes to show you the depth and the talent of the fields for both MPO and FPO. Things have gotten really good, really high-level disc golf, and the, and FPO, MPO hasn't hit their ceiling yet, but they're far closer to the ceiling than FPO. Right now, the FPO field isn't as deep as MPO, but since COVID, things have really taken off, and it's no longer the Paige and Katrina show. Well, it's now the Kristen Tatar show, who is just, her dominance index is just miles ahead of everybody else. But excluding that, like the, the level, the talent level in the field has just gone up and up and up and up, and it's been amazing to watch. Um, Paige Pierce barely makes the cut by making a birdie putt on hole 18, and as I said about uh, Evelina and Hannah, Paige Pierce needs to do something with her mental game. I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know what's going on. She did make some comments after the MVP Open that I will go into afterwards, but we're pretending like this episode was recorded before those comments were made. Again, mental performance coach, there's something going on. She has the talent. She has the skills. She's one in the open. She's one in the woods. She's one in the rain. She's one in the cold. I do not like green eggs and ham. Uh, she has won everywhere, basically. At some point in her career, she's won everywhere. So she has the capabilities of doing that. Katrina Allen, too. But I think Katrina Allen is working through something a little more physical with how things have been changing in her um, throws, in her drives, and all of that. I don't know what's going on. It's hard to pinpoint it. It could be ankle knee hip it could be a low back issue it could be anything really uh, I'm I'm I would put my money towards a lower body issue given the changes she's making but I don't know I have not examined her I have not physically been there so I don't know what is going on I just hope whatever it is gets gets fixed and hopefully now that the season is winding down just has throw pink and the disc golf pro tour championship hopefully she can get things taken care of and get healthy and be the Katrina Allen that we know that she can be. And Paige Pierce can hopefully find a mental performance coach and get things going and doing whatever and just get there and just and just just fix the game. Fix the mental game. Oh, well. Now, uh, the playoffs. So, the playoffs, the playoffs, the playoffs. On the Nick and Matt show, they had Gannon Burr, Chris Dickerson, Jeremy Coling, Isaac Robinson, just to name a few. It was a big jam-packed show. This was a couple weeks ago now. You can find it. It was a good show. Um, but the consensus there was, the question was asked, did this feel any different than an Elite Series? What did this, did the playoffs make sense? Did the playoffs feel good? The answer for the most part was, nah, not really. It didn't really feel like anything different than a regular Elite Series. For the most part, 
the commentators didn't really say anything about who may or may not have made the cut. They weren't playing out any scenarios of like, oh my God, did you see that so-and-so, you know, if they don't move up two or three spots, they're not going to make the cut. They're not going to make it to MVP and they're going to be out and it's not going to happen. It was very lackluster. It just felt like a regular old tour stop. And to a certain extent, MVP felt a little bit better, but mm, not much. I don't know if the playoffs is the right name for this, but we'll see as this goes along. Obviously, they had to make some concessions with GMC and MVP because there are a lot of pissed off people because they're like, I've been playing this tournament for blah, 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 blah years. And MVP, to a certain extent, is going to be like, yo, we just put a buttload of money, 10 million over 10 years, I believe it was. Now, this is, uh, you know, it was not a million a year. It was weighted very differently. You can find an interview with, uh, I forget if it was the tournament director or if it was with MVP themselves, but this was on one of the Upshot episodes. I Again, I highly recommend you go listen to it. It was a good episode. It was way back in like May or June or something. So it, it, it's a little ways back there. But basically, you know, it's not an even million a year. It changes as it goes along. So they're going to be like, hey, uh, we paid a lot of money for this. We we need this to be a big tournament. We need a return on investment and ROI, if you will, for those in the know, those in the biz. But yeah, that's that's that. Um, it just it didn't feel any different as a spectator, as a viewer here. It was just like, oh, cool. Yeah, pretty much anyone. I mean, they had 100 people in there, I believe, 120 people in there for MPO, which is basically the normal MPO field with maybe a handful of lower end people who just did not. You don't hear about. They don't They don't perform well. They don't do anything significant enough to get on coverage. So you're just like, oh, oh cool. Johnny Smith did not make the cut. And you're like, who's Johnny Smith? Oh, he's been on 10 tour stops. Really? Well, yeah, he usually finishes around 80th. Oh, there we go. Has basically zero social media presence. Yeah, you know. It is what it is. Um, there is, like I said, there's no drama. There's no, like, oh my god, if, you know, here's the scenario, we're halfway through the final round, and if it if it were to end right now, X, Y, and Z, don't make the cut for MVP, X, you know, whatever, they're, they're out they're, they're on the outside looking in. It just, it felt boring. I mean, the tournament was good. Don't get me wrong. The tournament was good. But in terms of a playoff, it was lackluster. And maybe there are changes that will happen as it goes on. The Disc Golf Pro Tour is has been known to slow walk a few changes that in the end, after you've looked at it for a couple of years, it has gotten significantly better. This The change that we all were like, oh, that's stupid. Why are you doing that two, three years later? This is the best thing ever. So I'm hoping that the playoff situation, um, they definitely have learned things from here. You saw some of the changes, some of the complaints that happened from MVP or uh, from Green Mountain to MVP. Some of those changes did happen. Some of those things, you know, they did talk about, commentators did make comments about, hey, you know, after this round, this is this, this is this, this is who's in, this is who's out. You know, so-and-so's really got to pick it up if they want to make it to the final to the Disc Golf Pro Tour Championship where everybody gets paid. Everybody who participates gets some check, something to make it worth it for them to come out there. So, 
it's it's pretty good incentive. And then, I mean, honestly, you know, it's the Pro Tour Championship. It doesn't have quite the prestige as some of the other tournaments as, say, Worlds or, you know, um, USDGC. But it will, as it goes on, the way the Disc Golf Pro Tour throws money at it, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be very well attended. And um, unfortunately, you know, people like Nathan Queen aren't going to make the cut. It's it's unfortunate, but it happens. Um, some of the people who did not advance on to Green Mountain were like um, uh, Yuli. Uh, unfortunately, he had to drop from the tournament because of COVID. So he had, you know, tested positive or whatever. So due to the COVID protocols, he had to withdraw. He could not play. Don't know much about it. Um, feel bad. Recovery. I hope he recovers. I hope he hope he gets back, bounces back, and uh, we hear his soothing voice, his beautiful, beautiful voice on the Jomez coverage. See him for the practice rounds and all that stuff because the big, sexy Barry commentary is some of the best out there. And when all three of those guys consistently have retired and step away from playing disc golf i would love to see them commentating i don't know how well they would all do i mean nate sexton obviously does a pretty good job of commentating live uh big german yuli could do a good job live it is a very different ball game than post-produced commentary but i could see them both thriving i could see them both being excellent color commentators i could see them both being an alternate audio stream that gets way more popular than the current audio stream so uh those are those thoughts <laughs> it's a pretty good episode here 45 46 minutes long let me know what you think down in the comments below thank you all for watching you can find me on social media on twitter on instagram on youtube where you are potentially watching this right now live you can find this on wherever you get your audio podcast if you don't want to watch this and sit at your computer for 45 minutes you can sit in your car and listen to it on your drive you can listen to it on a run you could listen to it while you work out you can listen to it if this is boring and you need to fall asleep i don't know it's all up to you but if you've made it this far i really appreciate you thank you thank you thank you and as always if you get a great tree kick or umbrella kick, you need to thank Treesus. And if you get kicked deeper into the woods, well, you have transgressed against Treesus and you need to repent and reflect because that's what you need to do to get in the good graces of Treesus. Thank you all for watching. As always, I've been Joe, you've been awesome, and I can't wait to see you all in the next video.